0: Thank you, Mayor. Hey, church, how are we going? Good. Mayor's excited because I'm basically just preaching her blog post. Uh, she's like, oh, you're preaching on that? Oh, well, I blogged about that. Yeah, here's, a, yeah, here's a link to my blog. Oh, here's another one. This might be helpful to you as well. Uh, why don't you just, you know. Now that, now that she's got a PhD in theology, she thinks that she, thinks that she can just write my sermons for me. Uh, LAUGHTER <laughs> no, no. um she she probably could actually uh and do a better job, but we 'll just keep that just don 't tell me that to my face okay um, keep me uh so it 's been my first week of um of being a uh stay at home dad um, and uh, thank you, thank you for the whoops um, yeah i it wasn 't the best of starts actually I had a couple of migraines this week, so that didn't help um, and, uh, but I have to say that it was good. And my dad, I talked to my dad on the phone and he was like, so how was your first week of being a kept man? And, and I was like, I could hear mayor and the- what did he think I used to do? <laughs> um, yep, yep. Newfound respect for mums, uh, who, who run kids around, um, and do all those kind of things, hold all those things in your head. I, uh, I, yeah, I respect you. Um. I don't know about you, but I hate being interrupted. Does anybody hate being interrupted? Like, here's a scenario it may have happened to you this week. Like, you've been working hard all morning, and you've finally got a chance to sit down, and then uh, you just sit down with your cup of coffee, and someone comes and says, oh, there's something you've got to attend to now. Uh, it could be at work. It could be at home. Maybe you've just gone and hidden yourself in a room somewhere where your children are, and, uh, and your three-year-old finds you. And, and says, oh, read me a book for the 99th time. Uh, and they want you to read a book. Or or you hear your children killing each other in the other room and you realize actually you're the responsible adult that has to stop that. And so you you have to be interrupted and leave your place of rest and, or whatever you were doing, attending to, and, and go and sort it out. Um, I, I think we all know that feeling of being interrupted. And I think... Um, none of us really like it. And let's, let's be honest, I think we, like it, we dislike it for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons is that we, we, we can't actually multitask. Like we think we can, um, but actually we're only good at doing one thing at, at once. And so if someone comes and interrupts you doing that one thing that you're doing, even you ladies, I know you think, oh, we can multitask, but science has proven you can't. All you do is you just flip between tasks. You just go between them, and you do them both poorly uh, rather than doing one thing. It's not just ladies; guys we're just worse at it. Um, but we can't actually multitask. So, but I think it, it runs deeper than than this this lack of being able to, able to multitask. I think it's actually something in our culture that today has driven us to the point that we we really don't like to be interrupted and. And it's this idea of, of hurry. Uh, I've talked about, I talked about this a few years ago, and uh, I think I just need to readdress it today. Last week, I, I talked to you about distraction. Um, and so we're really hitting the, the kind of, um, I guess, the cultural things in our world that really uh, impact us in everyday lives. And I think we, have, we live in a culture of distraction um, with phones and electronics and everything's trying to get our attention. But also we live in a culture of hurry. We live in a culture, you could call it haste, you could call it um, busyness, you could call it hustle, but we live in this culture of just having to do the next thing and getting to the next thing. Hurry is all around us, and we don't even realize it. Like, you just need to look at the petrol stations when their mobile's advertising is the quick stop. The BP store is called Go, (laughs) Like food, it's there's a fast food industry. Like we don't like McDonald's because it's good, because it tastes nice. We don't even like it because it's cheap. It's neither of those things. We like it, if you like it, because it's fast. Hurry kind of underwrites everything in society and it underwrites a lot of our work and a lot of our... We're called to be counter-cultural. But it's one thing to agree to assent to that with our brains and go, yes, Jesus was countercultural. I need to be countercultural. But then keep on living our lives and in, embedded in a, in a society that pushes us, pushes us along in a certain direction or at a certain pace. And we just get swept along with it and we, we don't stop and we don't ever, ever, I guess, reflect on it and go, hang on, is this the pace I want to be going? Is this actually the pace I need to be going at? Is this the pace that is most... Efficient for me to be working at. So, today I really want to shine a light on this issue of hurry in our lives. Um, And I want to make it clear that I'm not just doing this because I've just taken a a change of. uh, There is more hurry there than there probably was in my work. Um, So, because I have to get people to things on time. Like I had to get to places on time, but it was only me. (laughs) I didn't have to count on four other little things. Slowing me down because uh, that's what children are just things that slow you down. So, uh, <laughs> do quote me on that, can we erase that from the recording? Um, why, though, like, okay, you go, you can go, okay, yes, we live in a world of hurry. What, why is that bad? Like, why, why what's wrong with hurry? Now surely, hurry is actually productive, surely, we get things done. Isn't it just lazy to not be in a hurry? Well, no, to reject hurrying. And in our lives. Um, The the first reason is it's bad for us. It's actually bad for us physically, for our health. Like heart disease is the second biggest killer in New Zealand behind cancer. And the number one factor that causes heart disease is stress. And stress comes when you are in a hurry. Um, Okay, maybe it's not the number one. It's one of the key factors. Possibly your diet is the key one. Um, But stress is definitely something that drives... Um, the amount of heart disease and, and, and actually the amount of unhealthiness in our society today. It's also, not only is it bad for us um, physically, it's also actually less efficient. Like we think that, that rushing around is more effective, but actually when you're relaxed and you're doing things at a measured pace, you actually have better outcomes, you're actually more efficient, uh, you do things better, and you enjoy your job as well because you're not stressing about it. So so first reason is it's bad for us. Secondly, I would say it's bad for others. Like, hurry destroys relationships. We do not love best in a hurry. <laughs> in fact, I, I would say that actually love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. You can't actually love someone when you're in a hurry because love takes time. Love always takes time, which is the one thing that hurried people don't have. So you don't actually have time to love. Hurry generally produces the worst version of ourselves. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yep, yep, okay. One and two of you are honest with me, but... The rest of you, your worst self is often your rushed self, is your hurried self. Think of the moments that you're least proud of in the weekend. It's the moments that you you yelled at the kids because you couldn't get them out the door fast enough. Or you were impatient with your workmate because they couldn't get that thing done or that thing given to you or that whatever it was done fast enough. It's because you were in a hurry that you lacked grace. You lacked love in that situation. Just even think of a maybe an argument that you have with your spouse and you say, I don't have time for this. Like right there is the statement. I don't have time for this. You don't have time even to have a decent conversation about what you're talking about. You've only got time to yell at each other. <laughs> like there it is right there, our issue with hurry. Just reflecting on that phrase, it's, it's incredibly true. You don't have time for it. So... So hurry is what, is, what are you doing, Paige? Okay, it's not good for us. It's not good for others. And thirdly, if you look at Jesus, do you ever see him stressed and in a hurry? No. The one time you, can, you, you see him stressed is when he's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's wrestling with what he has to do. But it's not because he's rushed to do it. <laughs> As Christians, we, we seek to model our lives on Jesus, right? And yes, we have to contextualize it into 21st century Western society. But still, he's our model for today. And I read the New Testament accounts and I just don't see a Messiah in a hurry. I see Jesus at a measured pace. Yes, his only form of transport was slower than ours. Yes, he rode around on a donkey or he walked. So that forced him to slow down physically. Despite the fact that he's really popular, like more popular than you, I'm sorry, but most of you don't have crowds just gathering around you while you walk down the street. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, uh, but you know, but he was he was you know chased across lakes and around up mountains, and people just wanted to be where he was, and he had to like run away to get some time by himself. But he was never rushed. It was simply not his way. And I want to make it very clear that we're not talking. A life of laziness here, like the opposite of hurry is not laziness. The opposite of hurry is living at the pace of Jesus, and and I think if we if we stop human, period, right? And if He got all this stuff done, changed the world, you know, split the timeline. We're, we're living in twenty twenty one in the year of our Lord uh, because of. You know, he was that instrumental, and he did it all in three years at a walking pace. And you go, well, so why are we rushing around trying to save the world or do our thing when actually we could be far more effective doing it at the pace of Jesus? See, the world has kind of steadily been getting faster. You know, we have had the Industrial Revolution, and and there's been, you know, uh, just... More and more production and, and efficiency has been brought into work and robotics and, and production lines, assembly lines, all these things. And, and we've kind of got to this point that, that things are just at such a pace. When this, as this was developing in the 1930s, there's a famous essay called Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren by a guy called, an economist called John Maynard Keynes. And he wrote... He predicted that his children, children, when they were grown, they would probably be working 15-hour weeks. Because at getting things done with whatever production lines and our efficiency, that people just had all this spare time. We could just do all our leisure activities because, you know, we had had built in this efficiency. But somewhere along the line, that didn't happen, right? Anybody, you know, working 15-hour weeks and able to... Uh, sustain, you know, their, their rent or their mortgage on that. No, well, somewhere along the line, we chose money over time. Like as a society, we, we could have actually gone, oh, well, you know, we could free up time. But we, well, no, we said, no, we want a higher, higher standard of living and we want to maintain that higher standard of living. And so we need more money to do that and we need better staff. And, and so we just got sucked into this. And, and, and we chose money over time. It reminds me of that, that passage in Matthew 16, 26. Jesus says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? But what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Well, In many ways, and I'm not saying that, you know, just having spare time is the be-all and end-all. But I think we need to push back against this idea that getting stuff and having stuff and money is actually the be-all and end-all. No, actually, time is the one resources that you are going to run out of at some point. And, we, and we, need to, we need to realize this. We also need to, just as a side note, not, not so into the idea that our, our career is the only way that we can uh, serve God. It might be part of it, and it might be a big part of it, but actually your career is not your sum total of the purpose that God has you on this earth for. Because if you think about Jesus, he was a carpenter, right? For thirty years, or leading up until his ministry, he was a carpenter. What if Jesus had said, "Well, you know, I'm I'm really pursuing this carpentry thing. I'm earning good money, um, and I've moved on from chairs to tables, and uh, and now I'm going to do sideboards as well." and uh, You know, there's big cabinets. There's big money in making cabinets for Roman officials. So uh, it's a great gig. I'm earning good money. I can support my elderly uh, parents. Uh, Mary and Joseph are getting on a bit. What if Jesus had gone down that track? Because that's the track a lot of us go down. We get sucked into this, oh, well, uh," you know, this is the obvious course for my life. I think Mary and Joseph... You know, they had an inkling that Jesus was special. But a lot of the people around him would have been like, you know, Jesus. Yep, he's a carpenter. He's doing well in his business. Um, and then he just drops it all, age 30, and starts ministering. Anyway, that's a bit of a side point. The answer to hurry. But I just want to provoke you a little bit as well. Uh <laughs> Hurry, and I think the key, the answer to hurry is uh, is this idea of margin. Margin. They're inextricably linked. And there's a great, a great story. Um, yes, I'll bring some Bible into my preaching. So Luke 10, uh, if you've got your Bibles, it's the classic story of hurry. We should have it up here. Look at that. As Jesus and his disciples... and it will not be taken away from her. Does anyone feel a little bit for Martha here? Like, You don't know, feel like she's getting a raw deal. I'm seeing some nodding heads. Uh, like, here she is making things happen for Jesus, right? She's She's getting all the... The, the sweet treats sorted. She, she can't just order KFC in first century Palestine. She can't just go down the road and get a pizza. No, she's actually having to, to make it happen then and there. And, uh, and here, here's her lazy-ass sister just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is saying, you should be like her. Like, come on, that's rough. Yeah, who's, who's feeling it? Come on, let's be honest. Who's feeling you're all feeling it. If you're not, you need to grow up and take some responsibility in life because, because this is how people... Martha is the epitome here, though, of living a hurried life. She's living hurried. And because of it, she almost misses the opportunity to sit at the feet of the greatest man who ever walked the earth. Wow. Just put that into context. Sometimes our hurry is causing us to miss out on Jesus on what he wants to say to us, on what he wants to bring into our lives. Wow, well, that brings it home. So if we look into, into a, a, in a little bit of detail, Martha, she opens her home to Jesus. That's a good step. Showing hospitality is uh, a big thing uh, in those times. And uh, and it's important now as well. So so big tick there to Martha. She's, she's showing hospitality. Come on, what are you doing? Sorry, I'm having computer issues. I'm just swiping across and it's like, no, I'm not going to swipe. There we go. No, I'm not in a hurry. Well, you might be here a while. <laughs> it's interesting. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, which is actually a bit peculiar because Mary is a female and you sit. she's sitting at the feet of a rabbi. Now, rabbis have disciples, but rabbis and their disciples are always male. So, Mary is is actually kind of taking the place of a, a follower of a teacher here of a of a rabbi. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, and that's a strange thing for her to be doing, but actually, it was the right thing for her to be doing. She's and Jesus is breaking cultural norms by just having her and letting her and commending her for being there. But it says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Here's Here's the crux of it, really, isn't it? It's being distracted by all the things that had to be done. Who feels like that sometimes? Now, last week we talked about distractions and we talked about electronic distractions and it's more distractions for our eyeballs, but this is we're talking about distractions for things that actually need to be done. We're not just talking about distracted by a YouTube clip or a, a Facebook page. No, we're talking about being distracted by real life. Those are active distractions, and I think We all have them. The question is, should we be doing all the things that we are doing in our world? Like, because we have a tendency in our Western mindset to just kind of go, yeah, more is better. More is more, and therefore, if I do more good things, I feel gooder, and I'll just keep doing good things. And the trouble is, though, we cram in so many good things that they lose their goodness, and they just become a burden, and we end up Becoming like to the sports game, to the to the um, child activity, to church, to the job, to the errand, to the whatever, and we just like we we'll cram it all in, and it's exhausting, right? And it's exhausting for Martha here. But the truth is that actually God has given us enough time to do what He's called us to do. So you've got God's got things for you to do. Absolutely, I'm not saying be lazy. But he's given you enough time in the day to do those things. Martha was probably very capable. Some some scholars, including my wife, would say maybe that, uh, that possibly Lazarus, her older brother, who was unmarried, um, still living with two sisters is a bit odd. Um, possibly he was disabled. Possibly Martha was actually the head of her household. She was carrying the whole gig. And so she was taking responsibility in that moment. And she was making things happen. It's interesting, though, that even though she maybe was carrying responsibility, Jesus didn't commend her for that. He actually said, no, the better thing is to be with me. Sometimes we carry responsibility when we're not called to. We're actually asked to just be with Jesus. And the one thing I think Mary Sorry, Martha didn't carry in her life was this idea of margin. And I think margin is, is the antidote, or if you like, um, it's the vaccine to our disease of hurry. And I hope we don't have any anti-vaxxers here today. Because uh, we need this vaccine in our lives. We need some margin. Now, you know what I mean by margin, right? If, if you think about a piece of paper, you've got these gaps around the outside. They're the margins. Yep, oh, come on, come on, turn, okay. And they're there for a reason. Like, partly they're there because your printer maybe doesn't print all the way to the edge of the page. Um, but actually, there's a number of reasons um, that we have margins. And I think, actually, I don't know if your printer does this, but if I try and print outside the margins, I'll co- it'll come up with this alert. It'll say something like, warning, um, trying to print outside the margins, some text may not appear on the page. Yeah, uh, I think sometimes we live our lives outside the margins, and some of your life may not appear on this page. Um, like, God is trying to warn us that there we, we need to have margins in our, in our lives. Margins do several things they, they protect the text from wear and tear, right? They give it space around it so it doesn't get dog-eared and, and so you can't read it. They allowed you to hold the book and see what you're reading, right? Because your thumbs aren't covering them up. Um, they allow room for corrections. For notes to be written in at the bottom or on the side, they make the text more readable. You can find your place. You know you can orientate your life because of margins. and They help you keep your place, and they they help it make it look good. They actually frame it nicely and make it look nice. So just like margins in books are necessary, we need margins in our lives. Margins do all those things for us. They help us find our place. They help us to be corrected. They give us space to be corrected. They, they, they make our lives look better <laughs> as well. Um, you, you could go through all those things. But margins, are, they're very similar to limits, if you like. And the idea of limits is not something that we like. Like no one says, yeah, you're limited. Live a limited life. Live a life of limitations. It's not the kind of rah-rah message you, you hear from church. But limitations are actually necessary and healthy in our life. I don't know if you remember that phrase. Um, maybe it's showing my age. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. You remember it like I think with no fear was like the, the the brand that it went with. Um and that sounds cool and edgy until you fall off, right? <laughs> Because you're living on the edge too long, and it only took a little bit, and you fell off, uh, and you're burnt, and you're broken, and you're, whatever it is, burnt out, you've got bad relationships, you're, you're depressed, because you fell off the edge of the cliff, because you were living life on the edge for too long. And I think we need to, we need to just come in, have a margin, Right? Parents know this when they see their kids walking up to something without a barrier and there's a big fall on the other side. You're like, no, just come back a little bit from there. We need to live our lives with margin. Otherwise, we will fall off at some point. And there's a temptation to live life right up to the edges, right up to the margins, because then we feel like we're really living life. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, doing good stuff. And, and maybe it's just because we want to be with those cool people and we don't want to miss out. And there's so many opportunities and so many things oh, Come on, that, um, that we can do. But obligation is driving us. You know, obligation to a spouse, to a boss, to a friend, to ourselves. That's causing us to live too close to the edge. So we need to build margin into our lives. Because if you look at how Jesus walked around, he went from A to B. He had an overall plan, right? He was like, I am gonna. I know that eventually I'm going to the cross. I'm going to save all humanity. But on my way there, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm doing this. But even on his way to Jerusalem, people would call out, and he would stop, and he would lay hands on them, and he'd heal them. And then a lady would reach out to him, and he would stop and go, who touched me? And he would just, all the time, he's preaching, and they're hungry. Oh, oh, I'll feed them. He's in a room. Oh, interruption. Someone dropped someone through the ceiling. But Jesus, none of this bothers him because he's got margin in his heart. In his life, he's like, he can handle any situation because he's got margin in his life. So how do we get margin? We need margin, right? You're all there with me. How do we get it? Number one is we actually just need to stand in grace. See, it's a posture of the heart before it's the things we do. It was the posture of Jesus' heart to have margin in his life. I think really we just need to assume the stance that Jesus had. Walk with him. Romans 8, 15 in the Passion Translation puts it beautifully. It says, You did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. See, it begins and it ends with grace. We need to know that it doesn't matter what we do, how many things we do, how busy we are. None of that matters to God. We are accepted just as we are into relationship with him. That is where it begins. That is where showing grace to yourself, having margin in your own life begins. It's the starts of standing alongside Jesus, not walking ahead of him. I'm, I'm from a family of fast walkers. <laughs> if you go for a walk with my mum, she'll just be striding out ahead and uh, I'll just be trying to keep up. And, and I, I do it too because I've, I'm my mother's, son, uh, in that respect. And so often we do that with Jesus, right? Like, come on, Jesus, we've got things to do, keep up. And you're like, just going into life and just trying to get all these things done. And Jesus, like, I'm not with you, you just go do your thing, and when you're stuffed, come back to me. (laughs) And, And that's so often what we do, we get out of step with Jesus, we get ahead of Jesus, and we think we're being good in doing it. But actually, we would be far more effective if we stayed connected to the vine. You know, John 15. We cannot achieve anything unless we're connected with Jesus. So we need to stand in that place. Because you can't follow someone when you're moving faster than them. You can't follow Jesus if you're getting ahead of him. And we have a tendency to do that. And we've got to realize, actually, our lives are not about the goal anyway. They're about the journey with him. Oh, I keep doing that. Swiping. Sorry. Okay. So that's first thing. Number two is we need to actually embrace and limitations. So I said before that limitations are a good thing. Now this might sound counterintuitive in our day of just throwing off limits and just doing whatever the heck you like. But actually, the boundary places have been put in good places for us. Psalm 16, 5 and 6 says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. God has a delightful inheritance for us. Sometimes I think we need to... we feel we need to force our way into it, but actually we need to relax back into it. And I think there's, there's a tension there because God has things for us to do. He doesn't want us to just sit on our butts all day. But too often we're trying to make it happen and, not, and realize that actually there are limitations around us. We cannot do some things because we're just not gifted to do them. Don't try and be something you're not. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities and calling just the way you are. You see, when we, when we just try and be all things to all people, we end up losing ourselves. And there's peace, actually. There's purpose and peace within the boundaries of our lives. So what does that look like practically? I guess that means that we realize what we're gifted in. We realize what we're called in. We realize actually what God has placed in our hands. And we, and we live from that place. We stay in our lane is another way of saying it. We run in our lane. We don't try and take over someone else's. And when, when we do that, when we embrace our limitations and go, okay, God, I'm not gifted in that area, and I'm not going to just bang my head against the wall and try and make it happen in this. I'm going to stay in what I'm gifted and graced. Then we actually begin to see eff- effectiveness in our lives. So second thing I would say is embrace limitations. And number three, and I'm breaking this down even further, because this is actually what we, aside from that stance of grace, this is the, the things we can do. It is, number three is build in margin. We actually need to actively build margin into our lives. Jesus had margin. We need to have margin. Some practical ways to build margin. Number one is solitude. Plan some time to be alone. In Mark 6, 30 and 31, the disciples have been busy ministering, and this is what happens. In verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That is smart from Jesus. (laughs) That is what we need to do. We need to Get alone with Jesus and have some rest. Time alone fuels us for time with others, right? You know when you've had too much time with other people because you're just you just rude and ratty and you can't handle them. And some of us, we have different, you know, depending whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, Some of you, your capacity is down here. Some of you, it's up here. I have a daughter whose capacity is down here, and I have others who it's a bit higher. Um, And uh, and you can see when they reach that level. But the discipline of solitude is life-giving. It's life-giving for all of us, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, because Jesus himself practiced it. He went, you can read other scriptures where, he went off by himself. Alone and prayed. If it's good enough for Jesus, <laughs> it's good enough for us. Even though it's hard, you might go, "Oh, my life's too busy to get alone." No, actually, your life's too busy not to get alone. You can fit it in. You really can. Just in, in work and in home and life, you just need to, to find some solitude. I used to, when I was working in the hospital, just go out. Uh, into the gardens at lunchtime and just go and sit on a park bench. Just have some space away from my workmates and, and, and um, patients, and just have some space. Because otherwise, you get compassion fatigue, and you find that actually I don't, I don't have any more to give. I just don't care anymore, uh, and that's when you know you're you're fraying on the edges. You're losing your margin. Solitude gives you margin. Okay. So, firstly, solitude. Number two. They'll begin with yes, just to help you out. Number two is Sabbath. I reckon that actually the single most effective thing you can do to give yourself margin in your world is to have a Sabbath. Now, what do I mean by Sabbath? I mean one day of rest a week. It doesn't have to be Sunday, although that's a smart day to do it, um, because the things we should be doing on Sabbath, are, well, firstly, there's something we don't do, is we don't work. We cease work. We rest we celebrate and we worship. That's kind of the idea of Sabbath. So as a family, we actually do kind of start Friday night and go through to Saturday night because Sunday is often a day of work for me. So that's when we do it. But I'd say whatever works for you and your family, make it work. But I reckon starting in the evening is good because you can start, with, a, if you like, with a meal and celebrate, which is a big part of it um and then yeah have 24 hours where you don't do things which are work now recreation is can be a part of your sabbath but i would say that if it's but but here's the thing if it feels like it's work if it feels onerous then you're probably not um maybe you're like oh i've got to do this um strict training regime uh That's not a Sabbath rest. That's used to. But the flip side is, oh, I want to go for a jog or for a a bike ride or whatever because this is how I recreate. Awesome. Uh, That's part of it. But you see, God created the world in six days and on the seventh He rested, and it's been our model ever since. Except in our busy, hurried culture, we've lost it. And my. Hello. Yes, I'm back. Um, In our busy world, we've kind of we've lost it. Yes, you do notice a little bit. There's a different tone around town on a Sunday. Still in 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 smaller places like Timaru, lots lots of places are shut, um, and there is still a little bit of that hangover from 20, 30 years ago of a Sabbath kind of rest. But the crazy thing is though that actually, and studies have been done we work best on this kind of seven day cycle um, and that during the French Revolution they tried to make uh ten day working weeks to increase productivity, and it just didn 't work like just people were getting less productive uh, rather than more so, and we need actually we need to build into our lives uh a day of rest and we we uh, we used well, well we we do it, but we haven 't been very good at doing it, and so we restarted it. Kind of kickstarted started it uh, yesterday. We were like quite diligent around it and it was great. I mean, our kids admittedly um, moaned for a bit of it because we like tried to make them do things with us. But by the end of the night, we, play, we were playing charades and they didn't want to stop. They just kept jumping up and doing it. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. They actually were hanging out together and we're celebrating together, we're relaxing together, and we're not like Everyone on their device in different rooms or parts of the living room or watching different things. We're actually together doing something. And so I encourage you, Sabbath. So what have we got? We've got Sabbath, we've got solitude, and we've got, number three, if we're going to build margin into our lives, we've got slowing. Slowing down. I think this is hard. Instead of just, you know, because we leave it right up to the last minute. Anybody else like this? You're like, okay, I've got to be there at 10 o'clock. So if I leave at ten two, I will get there at 9.59. They'll leave me a minute to walk there. I'll be there. Bang on 10 o'clock. Anybody else plan like that? Yeah, I know you do. How about you give yourself some margin? How about you leave 10 minutes earlier? That way when you run into that person In the car park, you can have that conversation with them instead of blowing them off and going, "No, sorry, I gotta go. I'm late for something." Like we're not good at this, Westerners. I have I have to admit um, when I when I spent a few weeks in uh, in Uganda, I took it was culture shock. Just the pace. They dawdled. (laughs) They walked so slowly. And things never started on time. And I was like, yeah. but it was cool because it was far more based around relationship than it was about. And I was like, why do we have to start bang on time? Does it matter? Does God mind? <laughs> no. So, slowing down, you can gamify it in your life if you like. If you like those kind of things, you can choose the slowest lane in the supermarket. Imagine doing that instead of lining them all up and going, yeah, that one's fastest. She's not got much. Oh, no, that old lady, she's going to take forever. No. (laughs) How about, no, I'm going to go behind this old lady and I'm going to take my time and I'm not just going to pull my phone out and look at it. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to look around. I'm going to be engaged in my environment. Wow. (laughs) Who knew you could do that? (laughs) You see, to follow Jesus, we have to, walk at Jesus' pace. Jesus was walking through the towns. He noticed the people in need and he stopped and he talked to them. We could actually take this as far as just, maybe we should walk places. If you've got the time, maybe you should walk there. If you've got the time, maybe you should ride your bike. Oh yeah, there we go. Plug in for bike riding. Don't assume that, you know, just going there in your car is the best way, especially when it's like just five minutes down the road. Um we just we just go there automatically. Eat your foods slower. You'll you'll you you'll savour it more and your satiety signals will kick in earlier and you'll eat less. It'll be better for you and you'll enjoy it more. And then invite Jesus into that extra space, extra time that you have because you're not looking at your phone. Wow, that could change your life, just that thing there. Um there are, there are countless ways that we can do this. I, I want to invite um, um, being a um, guitar, would be great. But there are countless ways we can deliberately choose to slow our lives down. And I think sometimes we get in that mindset that we have to rush, that we have to hurry. that, And then sometimes you, you just actually need to stop. Go, no, why am I hurrying? What is the purpose of this? How can I actually produce some margin in my world and walk at the pace that Jesus walked at? Because it's actually true that God has given us enough time to do the things he's called us to do. The trouble is we don't often notice the things that he's called us to do because we walk right, or we run right past them, or we drive right past them because we're going too fast. I think more lives could be changed. There could be more people sitting next to you here because we actually stopped and we slowed down and we talked to our neighbor across the fence for 10 minutes instead of going, oh, no, I've got to go and do this next thing. Or we talked to our workmate or our kids. Or We didn't just rush our kids out the door all the time. I think what we actually need to do, and you can write this down. It's not my phrase, but I think it's great. We need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Ruthlessly and eliminate hurry from our lives. Sorry. I don't know which of those areas you need to build into. Maybe it's the solitude. Maybe you actually need to carve out 20 minutes of time alone in the day. Maybe it's Sabbath. Maybe you've kind of slipped up on doing the Sabbath thing with your family, you're just kind of all doing your own thing. Or maybe it's this idea of actually just, I need to slow down the pace of my life. Or maybe it's actually a heart issue and it's that idea that I said earlier of just assuming the posture of grace, of going, actually God, I don't have to do anything for you to love me. I don't have to do anything, I don't have to run around, I don't have to make things happen. I actually just need to be with you. God doesn't want him, you to do things for him. He wants you to do things with him, and you need to actually be sitting, and standing, and walking at His pace for that. Just to do some business with God, I want us to to perhaps realise where we've been pushing, where we've been hurrying, where we've been rushing, and and just take a moment. And we're going to take a moment here. We're not going to rush through this moment. We're going to take some time with Jesus. So just maybe close your eyes, raise your hand if you want, or just be in a posture of, of openness towards Him now. And let's invite Him in by His Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to put your finger on in my life? Where have I been, been hurried? Where do I need to build margin into my world? Where do I need to have some space? Where do I need to to find some solitude? Maybe some Sabbath rest with you. Let's just listen to God for a moment and speak to us. sing a line from the song because I think it's prophetic over our lives because it breaks the idea that we have to make things happen for God we have to do it it goes like this even when I don't see it you're working even when I don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop Even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when we stop, you don't You can do far more than we ever can You are able, God, to work in the background of our lives While we are resting in you, God Father, we receive that now. We thank you that you are working on our behalf. Father, teach us to rest in you. Teach us to live unhurried lives. Teach us to, to rest with you, to walk with you at your pace. And in so doing, God, you will achieve far, far more in our worlds than we could possibly imagine because you are at work doing it. Amen. Awesome. Hey. If you're here this morning and the God we're singing about, the, the Jesus who walks alongside us, He's not walking alongside you. I want to give you an opportunity right now for that to be a reality. Just So just with every eye closed and head bowed in this place, if you're here and you're like, yes, I need to walk with Jesus because I've been trying to walk by myself and it's not worked, then just raise your hand. I'll see it. You can put it down and we'll pray together.